Thanks, Pete. Well, good morning, Victory Point. My name's Matt. I'm on the team here. It's been such a good morning already. Hey, I also want to say, uh, I don't know if we've acknowledged this yet this year, but I just want to say happy birthday to Victory Point. Um, we, we figured it out, like, this is technically our, our 25th year as a church. Like, I, I think it was the end of 1992 when Victory Point had some of its first gatherings, but maybe wasn't officially organized till 1993, which would make this our 25-year birthday. So, happy birthday, Victory Point. Yeah. We're going to do some fun stuff this year, like probably have lots of cake, I'm hoping, and things like that, but we'll just got some, we're going to plan some fun events in the summer and in the fall just to kind of celebrate that. So uh, Pete, Pete was talking about, you know, going to the Whitecaps today. I'm really excited about that. Um, again, if, if you want to go and don't have tickets, we have tickets. Just stop by the info desk. Maybe you saw the video that we put together this week. If you haven't watched it, I just want to assure you, no hot dogs were hurt in the filming of that video. They were eaten, but uh, they were not hurt. So uh, it, it's always a good time as a family, just going to a ball game together. Um, Sheila and Todd, thank you. Thank you so much. I really don't have to preach now. I mean, I'm going to because, you know, I got to make a living here. But, you know, like there's nothing that I can say that's better than what you just already said. And uh, just thank you for your honesty, for your vulnerability, for your transparency, for inspiring us. Tilly, I'm so glad you're part of that family and we're so glad you're part of this family. Okay? So glad. I just love this place. I love this church. Last week was so much fun. It was so much fun. I, I've been doing push-ups all week now, just inspired by, by Grant working on some, some flips and stuff. But uh, you guys, you guys gave $4,700 towards ministry and, and helping marginalized children in, around the world, you know, find homes. $4,700, and that was matched by somebody in the World Orphans Network. So that became like $9,500 going to help children have a home. Because you're never more like Jesus. And I know like there's other families in here that have adopted or fostered. I mean, you're never more like Jesus when you create family for someone. That's what God the Father has done through Jesus Christ. He, he's invited us into his family. And you're never more like Jesus when, when you engage and give towards things like that. So I'm very, very proud of this church. But I am going to preach, okay? And we're going to wrap up our series in this series that we're in. It's called Because He Lives. And what we've been doing in this series is, uh, you know, we've been acknowledging that the resurrection of Jesus changed everything. The, the empty cross, and, and more significantly, right, the empty tomb means that sin and death don't win. It means that, you know, it means never let the enemy, the devil, put a period in your story because Jesus is the king of run-on sentences. There's always more than, than what we think. There's always hope. Because of the resurrection, it means that every story can be redeemed. So we, we've been looking at these, these different encounters that the resurrected Jesus had with people in the scriptures. Because after Jesus rose from the dead, scriptures tell us that he hung out on earth for 40 days. And he appeared to over 500 people. Sometimes in groups, sometimes to individuals. We've been looking at some of those stories. A few weeks ago, Brendan talked about Jesus' 
post-resurrection encounter with Mary Magdalene, where, where Jesus comes to Mary and reveals himself to her in her hopelessness. He does that to us as well. And then the next week was canceled, right? But then last week, uh, Ryan talked about, you know, Jesus's post-resurrection encounter with Peter. After Peter had denied Jesus three times and had failed, but because Jesus lives, because he lives, failure isn't final. Every story can be redeemed. And today we're going to look at Jesus' post-resurrection encounter with his disciples, in particular, one disciple, Thomas. I'm calling this this morning, um, because he lives, disabling doubt. Or, you know, doubt doesn't dominate, but he's playing with that word, disabling doubt. You know, sometimes doubt can be disabling, but I'm using it as a verb. Because of the resurrection, because the resurrection changes everything, we can disable the doubt and move forward, even in doubt and fear, into obedience. We're going to talk about that through Thomas's story this morning. So Lord, I just pray that uh, in these minutes that we have left, that we would recognize your presence among us, in us, with us, that, that we would... Um, believe that these words that we're going to look at in the scriptures are Holy Spirit inspired words of truth, not just for people then, but for us now, and that you would connect us up with what it is that you want to speak to us this morning, that we would hear what God is saying and do something about it. In Jesus' name, amen. Some coffee there. Okay, if you have a Bible, turn to John 20. John chapter 20, if you have it, you know, want to look at it on your device, you can do that. Otherwise, I'm going to have it here as well. We're going to look at one of Jesus' post-resurrection encounters with his disciples. So it says this. It says, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in in his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Then he breathed. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. For if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. If you do have like a a Bible, um, underline three words. Underline peace. I mean, that, that word shows up a couple different times in this encounter. That tells us that's important to Jesus. He wants us to live in peace. Even when we fear, he wants us to live in peace. Underline the word send. Send. Even in the midst of fear, he still sends us. He still has a job for us to do. And underline the word breathe. I just, that, that doesn't that just have echoes of the creation story when, the, when, when God breathed life into Adam, you know, the, the, the Ruach, the Spirit. And it, and it kind of echoes of the story of Pentecost when, when, the, when tongues of fire were breathed out on everybody. But though, that's not the, the things I want to focus on today. I just wanted to draw your attention to those things. The story continues. Verse 24 says, One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. So Thomas missed out on this experience, this encounter that the disciples had with Jesus. So they went to Thomas and they told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound 
in his side. Eight days later, eight days later, the disciples were together again. This time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. What's he say? Peace. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Thomas, like, come here. Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand. He's inviting him. Put your hand into my wound, in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord, in my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, You believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Poor Thomas, right? Thomas. He, this guy has caught grief for over 2,000 years for being a doubter. He's infamous for his doubt. I mean, a lot of the disciples have taglines in the scriptures, don't they? Whenever you read about Judas, it's like Judas the betrayer. Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. That's what he's known for. John sometimes has this tagline like he's the beloved, the one whom Jesus loves. Of course, he's writing that about himself, which is kind of weird. You know, you have Peter. He's the rock. And then when you ever get to Thomas, it's always like we associate that with doubting Thomas. Even people that don't know the story, uh, this, this scripture, this story, they still use the phrase, don't be a doubting Thomas. Don't be a doubting Thomas. Now you and I, you know, today we might be tempted to think, come on, Thomas, come on. Like, where's your faith? But remember, you guys, we view this story, we view this exchange having the advantage of having the entire scriptures. You know, they just had the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. We've heard this story. We we live on this side of the resurrection. But Thomas was experiencing all of this in real time. So consider, just consider what Thomas is being asked to believe here. Think about it. It's fantastic that Jesus, who he knows without a doubt, died and was buried, is now suddenly alive. A dead person is now an alive person, walking around, having all these exchanges and encounters with people. It would be like, Think about this. It would be like you and I maybe having attended the funeral of a friend and then a few days later we're hanging out, you know, like at American Char or something like that and we run into another friend who says, hey, I just saw your friend yesterday at Myers. Your friend who died. I just, I just saw him at Myers yesterday. Well, how would you react? How would you react to that? I mean, come on, be honest. You'd think that this friend telling you this story is a little off, maybe a little influenced somehow, some way. The idea that that someone would be walking around after having died the previous week is so far beyond our realm of possibility that you and I, even having all of the scriptures and knowing the resurrection story, would probably have a hard time entertaining that idea even though we believe Jesus rose from the dead. So I get Thomas. I mean, can you cut him a little slack here? I mean, I get Thomas. I'll believe it when I see it. I had a similar experience just recently. A lot of you guys know, um, I shared this on Easter Sunday, but 
on the Thursday before Easter, March 29, Monday, Thursday, my dad, my stepdad, but he's my dad, right? My, he, my dad had a catastrophic heart attack, okay? A catastrophic heart attack. He basically died. They had to shock him nine times. My mom had to do CPR on him. And uh, he was in a coma for a week. And we, we went down there. We were going down there for spring break anyway. We went down there. So one week later, on Thursday, um, one week after the heart attack, been in a coma for a week, um, my brother, Mike, and my sister, Molly, and my mom, you know, went to the hospital that morning. I was hanging out with the family, um, you know, in the morning doing spring break stuff. I get a text from my brother, Mike. Said, we walked in this morning. Dad opened his eyes. He kept them open, and he squeezed our hands. And, like, I get all excited. And, and I run downstairs, and I share the news, and we, we stop and pray and praise God. But I got to tell you, like, even though I believed it, even though I believed, you know, my brother was telling the truth, that this was actually true, there's something in me that, like, I have to see it, though. I have to actually experience it. I need to go to the hospital and see this for myself. So I, I get Thomas. I get his reaction. I, I, get his rea- I think it's reasonable what, he, what he's asking. When I touch him, I'll believe. The other disciples got to see Jesus. The other disciples, you know, probably even got to touch Jesus. And then when they told Thomas, like, hey, you missed it. We just saw Jesus. He appeared among us. You know, said, peace be with you. And he breathed on us. And it was really cool. And, and, and we saw, like, the, the holes, you know, in his wrists. And, and, and we saw the wound in his side. And we got to touch it. And, it, like, we saw him. Thomas just wants that. Thomas just wants that. He wants his own personal experience. And isn't that true? At some point, everyone needs to have their own personal encounter or experience with the living Jesus. At some point, your parents' faith, your friends' faith, your grandma's faith, you know, your church's faith needs to become your faith. It needs to become personal. You need to own it. So I just want to zoom out on, on Thomas's story, having said all that, and just make some observations about what's going on here. First thing, I just, I just want to throw out a couple like, observations. Number one, I, I think we just need to understand this. Doubt is okay. Doubt is okay. I think, actually, doubt or questioning on some level at some time in your journey is unavoidable. I don't think you can like, avoid it. And actually, I think doubt might even be sometimes a helpful, necessary part of belief. If you've never wrestled with your beliefs, with your faith, if if your faith and beliefs have never been tested or challenged, I question if you've really arrived at deep belief and faith yet. And what I appreciate about Jesus through this story and other stories is I think he can handle our doubt. I think he's way bigger than our doubt. He doesn't seem freaked out or threatened by doubt. And then the other thing I love about this story that I love about Jesus is this. Jesus comes to us in our doubt. He meets us in our doubt. Jesus came to Thomas in his doubt. Jesus took the initiative. Actually, in all of these post-resurrection encounters and experiences, Jesus seems to be the one taking the initiative. He seems to be the one going to people, presenting himself to people. 
initiating the encounter. He doesn't abandon us in our doubt. Thomas was doubting that Jesus was alive. So an alive Jesus goes to where Thomas was. An alive Jesus goes to where Thomas was. What did Thomas say that he needed to believe? He said, I need to touch him. Jesus goes to Thomas and said, touch me. It's okay. Touch me. Put your fingers here. Put your hand in my wounds. I'm real. Check it out. I love that about Jesus. I love his posture towards Thomas in his doubt. I mean, do you need a personal encounter with Jesus? Do you need something tangible that you can touch in, in you know, believe by specifically? Like Thomas, I would suggest acknowledge that then. Declare that to God, but be ready. He tends to take people up on those sorts of things. Okay, if you cry out to God and God, I need you, I need to see you, I need to touch you, just be honest with them. Just be real with them and be ready because he will show up. Jesus goes to Thomas. He does rebuke him. But I, I, I don't think it's like, a, like, like harsh. I, I think it's like a gentle rebuke, a gentle scolding. Like, here you go, Thomas, check it out. Now don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Other translations say this. Just stop doubting and believe. It's an invitation. I don't, I don't think it's a school. It's an invitation. Just stop doubting and believe. And this story speaks to our relationship, I think, like between belief and doubt. Here's a question. Can faith and doubt coexist? Can they coexist? Or has it got to be one or the other? You either have faith and belief or you have doubt. I looked up some definitions. Here's what it means to doubt. To doubt means to be uncertain about, to be hesitant, to believe, to question. You look up faith, faith means this, to have confidence or trust in a person or thing. Or if you look at a biblical definition of faith in Hebrews 11, 1, it says faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So on the surface... You know, on, on a slide or a piece of paper, they, they do sort of seem in opposition. But I think I, I want to offer a helpful nuance, if I could, to faith. What do we mean by faith? Faith isn't just about what you know or believe. Faith isn't like this intellectual commodity that you must constantly increase. A more accurate biblical defin- definition or picture of faith is way more connected with doing than it is with knowing. So here's what I'd suggest. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is the presence of obedience, even in the midst of our doubt. I just heard a story about that just a few minutes ago. Maybe you heard it too. Even in the midst of doubt and fear, obedience moves you forward. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is the presence of obedience. Sometimes I think we as Christians, we make too much about belief and not enough about action. We emphasize having faith instead of living our faith. You know, like an example, and you've, you've seen this kind of example before. I can say that I have faith and I have great belief in this stool to hold me. But, but when is it really faith? You know, when is it truly faith? It's when I exercise faith action. It's when I like act on that belief and actually put it into practice. 
Or, you know, I was thinking about it, um, like a lot of our high school students are going out to Colorado this year for the Colorado Challenge. And some of you maybe have already been to the mountains. I know you have. And, and maybe for some of you, it's your first time. I remember I, I've shared this with you guys. The first time I really got into the like real mountains was the first time I took a group of students as a youth pastor out to the Colorado Challenge out near Woodland Park, Colorado Springs area. And it was 1993 was the first year I ever went rappelling. You guys know what rappelling is, right? Rappelling is, is when you like you climb way up this cliff and then you hook up to a rope and then you go down the cliff, you know, kind of walking backwards. And um, you're on belay and all that kind of stuff. And this is the first time I'd ever done something like that. And these are, I'm doing this with people that I know, love, and trust. And I, they, they take me up to the top and they, I have the harness on, you know, it's really uncomfortable. And uh, they hook you up in the, the rope and the carabiner and all this stuff. And like, it is super, super, super safe. I trust and believe everyone who told me like this rope can hold like 20 times your weight. Like, you know, this is solid. There's no way you're going to fall. I got you. But, and I believed them and I had faith in that. But I got to tell you, it took me like 20 minutes to eventually like go over the, the cliff, you know, and, and that my knees are shaking and like I, I was scared. I had great fear. Even though I had faith and belief, it really didn't become true faith like in the biblical sense until I actually acted on it, right? That, that's more what faith is. Faith is acting on something. Thomas, did, did you catch this? Thomas may have doubted the news about Jesus' resurrection. But did you notice he also positioned himself in a room where Jesus had shown up, probably with the hope that he'd show up again? Even in his doubt, he took steps of faith. Even in his doubt, he, he acted. He positioned himself to have an encounter with the risen Lord. The Greek word that we translate faith in our Bibles has really not a lot to do with getting rid of doubt. It has nothing really to do with feelings or intellectual knowledge. Faith in the Bible has to do with obedience. It has to do with obedience, putting our trust into action. God wants us to have faith, to trust him, to trust him enough to do what he says, no matter how we feel or how certain we are of how things are going to turn out. All you have to do is read this book to see picture after picture after picture of people with doubt exercising obedience. Faith and doubt have been companions ever since the fall. They they really have. Ever since Adam and Eve doubted God's character and goodness and decided to go out on their own. I mean, just think about some of the familiar stories. I'm just going to highlight a couple. Faith and doubt go together all over in the scriptures. Remember the, remember the Old Testament story? You know, maybe, maybe you're a person who grew up in Sunday school and flannel graphs. And remember Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego? Remember that story? You can read about it in Daniel chapter 3. So here's the context. You have King Nebuchadnezzar okay, of Babylon orders these three Hebrew boys to bow down and to worship a golden idol. They refuse, Right? Remember the story? They refused. The king gets so angry, he threatens, like, I'm going to toss you guys into this fiery furnace if you don't bow down to my idol. Then he gives them one more chance to bow down to the idol. But they refuse to dishonor God. 
And Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, gets so furious that he orders the furnace to be heated up seven times its normal heat. And he says, I'm going to toss you in there. It's so hot that that the guards get burned up. Remember that story? What does God do? God sends an angel to protect Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the flames. And Nebuchadnezzar is freaked out when he sees this. And he orders them to come out. And then he repents and he worships God. But, but I just want to look at that story right before they go into the furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is in Daniel 3, replied, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. It's like, yeah! Like, that's, that's faith. That's what I'm talking about. Take that, king. Then there's another verse after that. But even if he doesn't, what? Is that, is that right? But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you've set up. But even if he doesn't, I mean, what kind of faith is that? Puts a different twist sort of on the story, doesn't it? So, like, what's going on? Were they doubting God? No. They weren't doubting God. They just weren't sure how it was going to turn out. They just weren't sure how it's going to go. They weren't even sure if they were going to live. That's actually the best kind of faith. Trusting God enough to obey, even when you're uncertain what's going to happen. All they were convinced of was that God was real, and he loved them, and he knew what he was doing. That was all they had faith in, and that was enough. And that this God expects obedience. I mean, you ever been in situations like that? You choose to do what's right even when you don't know the consequences? That's biblical faith. That's faith that pleases God. The lesson of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego isn't if you trust God, he will get you out of every fiery jam. He might not. Sometimes following God might probably lead you into the fire. But never doubt God's with you. Never doubt God's with you. I mean, we could talk about Noah. You know, took him over a hundred years maybe to build that ark. You don't think he ever doubted and questioned during that time? Could, we could talk about Gideon. I'm, I'm going to skip ahead just in sake of time. Like, there, there's that New Testament story. In the book of Acts, you can read about this in Acts chapter 12. Remember, there's, here's what's going on. Things aren't going very good for the apostles. They're, they're being persecuted. King Herod has had the apostle James head cut off. Peter, he's been thrown into jail. Remember this story? So the church does what the church should do in this situation. The church gathers in somebody's house to pray. And and we don't know what they're praying about, but my guess is part of what they're praying about is, Lord, deliver Peter from jail, right? I'm sure that's part of their prayer. They're pleading for God to spare Peter's life. Peter's probably in jail praying the same prayer. And and you know, this story, it's an awesome story. On the eve of his trial, it says that an angel showed up in jail, woke Peter up. He he was chained between two guards, woke Peter up, set him free, leads him out of the prison. Peter's now a a free man. He's a man of faith, right? But he doesn't really, he's the rock, but he doesn't even believe it's happening. He thinks he's dreaming. He thinks I must be having a dream right now. But he wakes up outside and he knows that this isn't a dream. 
So he goes to the house where the church is gathered and praying, probably praying for Peter. And when he gets to the house, you know, um, he knocks on the door. And, and they, they don't even let him in because they don't even believe it's Peter. You have all these people inside this house praying, probably praying for Peter. And then God answers their prayer and delivers Peter. Yet they don't believe that he's actually been delivered from prison. It's as if Peter and his praying friends maybe like believed but really didn't expect that God would actually answer their prayers. Their, their, their doubts were, were so real that when God did answer their prayers, they didn't believe it at first. But what I love about that story is even in the midst of any doubts that they had or, or, or you know, questionable expectations of is this, really gonna, is this prayer going to really do anything, they still acted in obedience and prayed anyway. Even when they weren't sure how it was going to go, they prayed. They still gathered to pray. Even if they thought it was a lost cause, they still gathered to pray. God works even when we don't expect him to. You can have doubts, but you also need to have faith. Even if it's small or little faith in God and in his character and in his ability and in his word. It's not about how much faith. It's about obeying God with the faith that you have. It's not so much about the size of your faith. It's about standing on and acting on the faith that you do have. It's that mustard seed principle. Jesse said something about that earlier. Jesus affirms this. Luke 17. Jesus says this to his disciples. So watch yourselves. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there is repentance, forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks for forgiveness, you must forgive. The apostles said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. The Lord answered, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Stay right there. Forgive people. So so Jesus starts out talking about forgiveness. You know, here's how many times I want you to forgive people, as many times as they ask. That seems kind of hard. So the disciples are like, we can't do that. Lord, increase our faith. We need stronger faith if we're going to live that kind of life. Jesus says, you got it all wrong. If you have faith just this size, if you have faith just the size of a mustard seed, you could tell a tree to go jump into the sea, and it would. If such small faith can do that, Forgiving people shouldn't be that hard. Jesus is teaching the disciples, you don't need more faith. You just need to do what you know. You need to forgive. You just need to do what you already know with the faith that you already have. What if we just all did that? Start there. Do what you already know with the faith that you already have. That will grow your faith. I want to close with one last passage. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. Next week, we're going to start another series, a little three-part series. It's called Because He Leaves. This one was Because He Lives. That one's Because He Leaves. We're going to look at Jesus' final marching orders and in, in the power that we have because He leaves. And Pete, next week, is going to talk about Jesus' giving of the Great Commission. I just want to read the Great Commission, and I want to point out something. You guys know these words. They're familiar to most of us. It's right at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee. 
going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I'm with you always. I'm with you all the time to the end of the age. I I italicize that end of verse 17. Have you ever noticed that in the Great Commission? Jesus gathers the 11 around him. He's, he's getting ready to leave. I got a mission for you guys. It's a co-mission. Got to do it together. You know, so he gathers them up. They worship. But some of them doubted. Some of them doubted. Who doubted? Which ones of them doubted? What were they doubting? Could be all of them were doubting. I don't know what they were doubting. Maybe they were doubting the resurrection. Maybe they were doubting themselves and their ability to do this. But here's what I love. Jesus doesn't seem too worked up about that. He doesn't seem to freak out about that. Matter of fact, he just goes past it and still gives them a job to do. He gives doubting people a job to do. He gives doubters and non-doubters the same job. Go and make disciples. Whoever the doubting disciples were, then and now, they're still commissioned to continue the work of Jesus in this world. Seems true for us. Having doubts, having questions is okay. It does not exempt you, though, from being a disciple and making disciples. So, so what are your doubts? What, what do you question? What do you wrestle with? That God loves you, maybe. That God can forgive you. That he's really with you. That, that he can use you. Maybe you doubt yourself. Whatever your doubts Embrace them. Wrestle with them. Search the scriptures. Pray about them. Talk to God about them. Talk to others about them. Just don't persist in your doubt. Doubt your doubts. Don't let them turn into cynicism. Let God use them to form his son more fully in you. So we're going to stand and sing. And as we do that, as we sing this song, if there's something in your life that is causing you to not move forward in obedience, something that you're questioning, that you're doubting, that you're wrestling with, can I invite you as we sing this last song, if that's you, we'd love to pray with you about that. We'd love to to enter into the the journey with you on that. So if that's you during this last song, if if you feel so bold, um, you're welcome to just kind of head on over to the corner. There's some people over there that would love to pray with you and listen to you and just walk with you in that, okay? So let's stand and and sing. And if you need some prayer this morning, take advantage of it.